you can picture two different futures. One is a future where people keep dressing like millennials forever and everybody just wears weird stuff for the rest of their lives and never gets serious and never gets back into wearing polo shirts. Or you could see like this kind of generational trend is actually more of like a accident of where we are in history. And eventually people will come back to sort of the classic brands. The resonance was pretty low. I mean, everybody knew what Ralph Lauren was, but nobody was very excited about it. A woman said that the two words for her were basic bro. That was not a positive. Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes successful analysis work. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Dana Schwartzman. Today, we're looking at a short idea about Ralph Lauren. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas. Neither Daniel nor I have any positions in any stocks discussed. Nothing on here should be taken as investment advice. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and subscribe to Behind the Idea on all the podcast apps. Today's topic, Berna Barche of Viola Capital Management released her first public idea at the Case Learning Conference, explaining why her firm is short Ralph Lauren ticker symbol RL. A devalued brand and a loss of resonance among the kids are the key points in the thesis. The company has been on a tear and the stock moved higher after her pitch based on a well-received fourth quarter report. Barche updated her analysis on Seeking Alpha in light of the report and explained further where she thinks the market has it wrong. So what's this disagreement all about? Today's theme is, is time on Ralph Lauren's side. Add time. Before we get started, I just want to mention that as we were reviewing the case for Ralph Lauren, we spent a lot of time using Seeking Alpha Pro. Seeking Alpha Pro offers a research library covering more than 10,000 stocks and funds. For something like Ralph Lauren, we want to break down the pluses and minuses of the trade. Pro makes it easy. You can filter the quote page analysis by long and short to figure out what bulls and bears are saying. If you're looking to get deeper research and sift through the information on any stock you follow, consider signing up for a two-week trial of Pro at SeekingAlpha.com slash Pro. Seeking Alpha Pro. It's where behind the idea goes for research. All right. Let's review this thesis, Daniel. What was Bruno Barche saying in her initial thesis on Ralph Lauren? I understand the thesis is having two or three main points. The focus of the thesis was on North America and sort of as a small point there, she highlighted how much North America makes in their revenue overall. I think it was over 50% of revenue and or operating income. And she had the more general point that brands don't really control the story as much in the modern age with social media, with just more distributed content. It's harder to really say this is what Ralph Lauren is about abroad, is her point. And so I think everything starts in North America. And so that's really where she focused her thesis. And then the two problems with North America are that Ralph Lauren's brand isn't as strong as it used to be. It used to be this sort of upper, upper middle class brand, polo shirts, the sort of golf horses lifestyle. But they're selling in TJ Maxx, they're selling in Marshalls, that's actually where they make a lot of their profit. And that restricts what they're able to do because 
You can get more or less the same quality polo shirt in TJ Maxx for 20 to $30 less. And so that's just all coming out of what Ralph Lauren would be earning if they were able to maintain their brand. And so that's problem number one, and that's just something that they're not going to be able to really turn around, is her argument, and that they're not committing to turning around as much as they say they are. She's done a lot of channel checks and a lot of on-the-ground research and found that they're still selling quite a bit in these other channels. And then more generally, she doesn't see a lot of optimism for Ralph Lauren going forward with younger shoppers who are going to continue to grow into a more important shopping market for Ralph Lauren. They brand resonance among women millennials was very low. Ralph Lauren ranked 21 in a survey that she and her firm sent out themselves as compared to with men, it was number four or tied for number four, but men make 10 or 20% of the shopping decisions in a household as compared to 80% for women. And with men, I forget who the other one was, but Nike was the main brand. And then there was one other really important brand. Levi's was the other one. And then after that, there wasn't much brand resonance. And so Ralph Lauren is losing their brand appeal with a new audience and they're devaluing their brand with their existing audience by saying, hey, you can get this for 25 bucks cheaper, same quality. And that's that's essentially the grounds of the thesis. So for them to then, they've lost revenue in the U.S. has dropped in the double digits for two years in a row. And for them to staunch that and turn it around so that they can grow revenue overall and really make a turnaround is going to be really difficult. And at the same time, as you mentioned in the intro, the stock has been on a tear for over a year and is, I think, more than double where it was at bottoms. And not far from all-time highs, so they've already priced in a turnaround. And so there's this sort of weird position in the market where the turnaround has been given credit without really happening yet. And so that, I think, was the guts of the thesis. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think probably the most interesting piece is this idea that, and I thought was persuasive in terms of her presentation, the idea that the younger generation is more indifferent to brands and just anecdotally you see on youtube that there are all these internet personalities who are presenting collections of different outfits they have there's that i don't know if it's a squarespace commercial there's this prominent commercial comes on tv all the time for me of this young woman who has this sort of fashion curation brand going on and she uses Squarespace or some other platform to help promote herself and articulate her vision. So I think there is some sort of more do-it-yourself attitude in terms of how to do fashion just based on people looking for unique looks or different or fragmented looks, maybe to support their Instagram, Snapchat presence, following this newer generation seems to have more, put more effort into this individuation and that's consistent with the thesis. I don't know, is it, is the age of conformity behind us? Is the Ralph Lauren brand, are we past the point where uh, that's going to matter to people? These sort of American standby brands are going to wash out. 
I did a, I have guests in my house this week, and so I use that as an opportunity to do my own scuttlebutt research. I, I asked my wife and our guests, which is a range from mid to late 30s to mid 40s, so Gen X to millennial borderline, and the resonance was pretty low. They one, I mean, everybody knew what Ralph Lauren was, but nobody was very excited about it. I probably primed them because I was explaining what we were talking about. So a woman said that the two words for her were basic bro, and that was not a positive association with the brand. So for what it's worth. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm skeptical that brands in and of themselves are going away as I I can buy that Nike is still a big deal. I imagine they're, I don't follow brands very closely. I wouldn't be able to say this is a big brand, but I do expect that brands are still more enduring than we give them credit for, even in the age of the loss of the monoculture and all those things about people's taste being more individualized. I think fast food, you know, you continue to see people going to the big fast food chains. And I would think it would be the same here, but Ralph Lauren's brand does feel sort of outdated to me. It does feel like something of a period with friends and with the 90s, the boy bands, just sort of, I don't know. It does seem preppy. I don't wear collared shirts very often because I don't have a neck, so I'm not really the audience for Ralph Lauren. But um, Wait, what do collars do to someone who doesn't have a neck? Why does that matter? They just look funny, I think. I just look funny in a collar. Is it because the collar kind of like creeps up your neck and therefore makes your like you're like a turtle retracting into into your shell? That that is basically what it looks like. I should mention very much to Berner's point in her presentation. I make almost none of our clothes shopping decisions in our households, but I, that's a shared conviction that my wife and I have regarding collars. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. Do you think there is that's basis for a potential disconnect in terms of, you know, we know that the investment management industry is overwhelmingly dominated by men. Is this the type of situation where, you know, we get arguments occasionally that a company like Shake Shack gets overvalued because it's flagship stores in Manhattan and that's where Wall Street is. And so there's just disproportionate attention. Is a similar line of reasoning possible here where there are all these men making investment decisions uh, and they're out of touch with the the consumer decisions that women make in households? Is that, do you think that could be a driver of valuation mismatch? Yeah, I think it's probably something on the margins. I think that sort of New York bias or that male bias, I, whether it's with the retail dying because what do people do in New York or whether it's something like this where men are less in tune with what's going on. I think it's probably there on the margins. I think it's those associations. You make. I, I'm reading right now Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and slow. And so I've got that on my mind as I speak about this, but I imagine that that's affecting things on the margin a lot that is leading to not finger on the pulse decision-making from investors. But 
I would like to think that that does weigh out in the end that uh, that the market will catch up. I would, and I and I don't think we. I wouldn't reduce. I I think I was the one who brought this up, so I wouldn't reduce Berna's point to well now because I have a better understanding of what women are doing buying clothes. I have an edge. I don't think that's at all what's going on, but, but um, yeah, I I think as a way to identify potentially people are misunderstanding it because the people making the investment decisions aren't the right ones. I think you do get those mismatches, and I think that happens. We, we talk about it in biotech, for example, in a different perspective where a lot of people are hoping for the therapy to work and investing that way rather than making the the decision based on whether it's a good investment. I could see that happening. And I could also see where you just get some stocks that are just are legendary, I, I, and I'm not saying that Ralph Lauren as a stock is legendary. I don't know stock history very well, but it's a major company. It's a company that is a American success story, and you sort of don't think of it as going away or anything else. So I could see that being. I could see male investors not being aware of how much it's losing its brand equity. For example, Ralph Lauren is. Did you know he's a multi-billionaire, according to Forbes? Seven billion dollars is what I think I saw. It's amazing. I was just doing some historical background research, and he—they prominently list key man risk in the 10K huh. for a lot of reasons. When it's like his name, I—I I looked at the background a little bit. He's from the Bronx. And he got his start selling out of a single drawer in the Empire State Building and then rose to prominence in the 60s. He did it. He outfitted uh, Robert Redford in, as the Great Gatsby in the Great Gatsby movie. And uh, Annie Hall. Have you heard of Annie Hall, Dan? I've heard of Annie Hall. Yeah. Uh, you, you, know, uh, you know Woody Allen, right? Oh. I know, I know Woody Allen. Yeah, and you've heard of Diane Keaton, I bet. I, I, I've heard of her. He did all their clothes too, Annie Hall. So in the late '60s, he had these outfitting these major movies. I don't know if The Great Gatsby is a major movie. Probably at the time it was. This gets to the point. Let's get getting back to the investment story. This brand, you can make two arguments. You can make the argument that this brand has endured for you know, 50 years now, been in the spotlight for 50 years. Uh, you could also say, you know, what's going to happen when Ralph Lauren himself exits the picture. My final thing is like, if it, it, there is an argument to be made that it's entrenched in that young people are just always kind of a little bit fragmented and don't dress in a conventional manner, but then they come back to it eventually. The basic bro look is not Look, and I'm biased. I have DC bias. So I have like 15 collared shirts in my closet and all my friends wear collared shirts all day long. And uh, short like neck, long neck, any kind of neck, everyone's got a collared shirt. So, but there is something like eventually people will come back to this. Maybe, or maybe not. Maybe this, I don't think I'm going to wind up making a point here, but you can picture two different futures. One is a future where people keep dressing like millennials forever and everybody just wears weird stuff for the rest of their lives and never gets serious and never gets back into wearing polo shirts. Or you could see like this kind of generational trend is actually more of like a 
accident of where we are in history. And eventually people will come back to sort of the classic brands. And I wanted to bring up a quick point. I looked up the peers to Ralph Lauren, you know, like Michael Kors and uh, Phillips Van Heusen that does the Tommy Hilfiger brand. And they all have a similar share price trajectory, which seems to have, you know, avoided maybe the most recent sell-off uh, of the broad market and is generally positive. So it's interesting to wonder whether not only not only has this trade sort of gone against Berna on the particulars of Ralph Lauren, but it also doesn't seem to be bearing out in other other similar brands either. Well, and it's interesting. So maybe we can go into the, the time frame here, because I think that's to me is an interesting point. Uh, you you. I guess there are two things going on, right? You need to get fundamentally what is is Ralph Lauren something that is going to make it another 50 years or another 10 years or whatever else? Do they have, I, I think what you're saying is really interesting. It could be that everybody just eventually graduates to clothes that their parents used to wear, or it could be that they don't. So that's one thing. But then also, what is the time frame? Where, where should we be looking at Ralph Lauren? What is the right perspective to be taking on Ralph Lauren? So to snapshot just a little bit, they reported earnings a few weeks after Berna first presented at the case conference, and they beat on EPS. Revenue is still down year over year, but they beat on that front as well. And the stock popped another 20% or so, I think, in the more, more or less in quick math. And so gap EPS was negative last year. In the fiscal year that just ended in March 31st, it was positive, but we're talking about 70 times earnings, trailing earnings more or less, which is a lot. They are losing revenue. They, they've managed to maintain their gross margins pretty nicely in this year. They actually grew gross margins. And I think that's one of the things that led to some excitement from investors. But it's a sort of thing where if you even if you get the fundamentals right, you're trying to think about from the short side, this matters more. How are you positioning yourself? What's the right time frame? Berna was really specific where in her presentation, she said over the next four quarters or so, I think is uh, that may not be a precise quote, but I think it was something like next four to six quarters. I'm expecting to see my thesis play out as they fail to follow their path. They had an investor day presentation after the Q4 call, which is a long, long presentation of what their game plan is. And they were, they were looking at a five-year plan where we're going to get to this point five years from now. What is the right time frame to assess whether Ralph Lauren is going to make it? What, when does the clock go on for either the short seller in this case or for the company? I don't know. How would you approach that? What would you sort of have as your framework? Yeah, it's a good question. Sort of putting on my Berna hat for a second and thinking about it from her point of view. I think that probably... And I'm speculating about her thought process. So, but I think part of her, the basis for her sort of shorter time frame was that based on the channel checks and the softness and the pricing and the markdowns that she saw, or at least the down market presence in stores that don't have the prestige value that a brand like Ralph Lauren would need to sort of sustain solid margins, that that would start to play out more extensively in upcoming earnings reports. And I think that's probably why her chief 
felt compelled to respond to this quarterly earnings report in particular. Is that the right approach? I think it's nice, it's comforting from any investor's perspective to kind of have a roadmap for how you expect things to play out going forward so that you can then check against your previous thought process as new information comes in. Anchoring on the one year time frame kind of gives her, puts her in a bit of a bind in one sense in that the clock's ticking for her in her thesis. And this one quarterly report is meaningful information that's going against her. And she only sort of has a few more months really for this to start going the direction that she had previously forecast. And then the other thing is it's kind of too short of a time frame if management is messaging a five-year turnaround plan and the company's been around for decades and decades, it's hard to imagine investors losing patience that quickly. And that comes to another point that I think is important, which is, you know, the economy is generally doing well. This feels like one of those brands that's sort of semi-up market that's probably got some cyclical tailwinds going right now. If you're going to get short out in front of it, I wonder whether it would be better to do so when there's some sort of trend that's propelling the difficulties a little bit more strongly. I think she's pointing to a, a secular shift in consumer preferences with the millennial angle. I wonder if you almost need the cycle to be on your side and timing that is gonna be difficult, especially in advance. So I like what she, I like her thought process and the map that she's created for herself. I wonder though, if she's opening herself up to sniping from people like you and me by putting this concrete roadmap in place. There are a million ways that the future is going to diverge from what she's talking about. And I'm sure she's smart enough to realize that, but when it's in writing and it's on the website, people are going to kind of latch onto that. Well, and I think I really said, I don't think you and me really matter. And the sniping that we do is not important, but for management, I think that's really an interesting angle. One of the things she said, where could we go wrong is they have a new management team in place. And she mentioned that they had, a long-time successful CEO who stepped down, and then they had somebody come in. And I can't remember how she referred to him. He is a turnaround specialist, or if there was something else special about his approach, but it didn't work very well. And then they brought somebody else in new. She hasn't met with him yet, but that was a risk to her thesis. And I bring that up because the difference we call we talk about activist shorts, for example. But there's also activist longs, and there's a lot of overlap in terms of a lot of what she's saying is essentially pointing to Ralph Lauren and saying, this is what you need to do to make your business better. You're giving away too much to TJ Maxx. You're giving away too much to Marshalls. And even though that's high margin for you guys, it's going to reduce your ability to really grow. And they are committing to do that. And they talk about, I noticed in their 10K, they talked about, a large part of their revenue decrease they attributed to that. And that's sort of a, okay, so what's your perspective? In the short term, the market, are they going to give credence to management for pulling through that or not? That's something that's really interesting. Another sort of more trivial point, but that I think was an illustration of this and an illustration of what we've heard 
few different places about how sometimes a short idea will give you a blueprint of where you need to fix things if you're management or where to research if you're an investor. She called out the board and she pointed out that the board is quite an old board and that gives her less confidence for whether they can adjust to the changing trends. They touted in their investor day presentation three new board members, one of whom is the CEO of Etsy, one of whom is Angela Arens, I believe is the name. She's the former CEO of Burberry who heads up Apple's retail business. I don't know how much a board member really matters, but those are pretty good guests. And probably they didn't do that just in response to this short report. But it is one of those things where if you don't have a ticking time bomb on the balance sheet or if you don't have a clear event that's going to trigger something – it makes it more pointed how to how are you going to get your short catalyst on because otherwise either you're you don't have the catalyst that will put this into effect or you're just playing this as a hedge against another position the the last thing i'll just say on this is that i can see how the time frame would work if she's right and if her analysis is correct that management is committing enough to getting out of the off price channel and north america won't be able to staunch the revenue loss as quickly as they say. Since it's a new management team, they don't have the built-up credibility yet, and they might lose it relatively quickly. And I I like this as a model that a friend shared with me back in college about music, but I think it relates to investing a little bit too. It's it's not a very inventive model. It's basically the three strikes you're out. He talked about how if a band releases a new album and it's bad – but you like their work in the past, you might give them another shot with their next album. And if two albums in a row are really bad, then that's probably when you need to get off. I think the same goes with the, with investments, right? You you miss the Q4, fine. I can still hold a little bit longer. But if they pop on Q1, even if she's right, you really have to weigh the risk-reward pretty closely there. And I've done that myself with some of my longs. I just dumped a long position where the story was changing too much and quarter after quarter, it wasn't working. And I said, all right, I need to, maybe there's a new thesis here, but I don't want to have thesis drift. And this is too many quarters in a row where this is happening. And so, yeah, I think the tiny point is a really important one here when you're on the short side and really of interest. That's how I would see it from her perspective. Yeah. I think she did a nice job of saying, you know, it's one quarter and I'm a long-term investor it's almost palpable in the article she wrote to follow up that she's disappointed with the market going against her. She really does not, she's sticking to her guns, which I think, you know, this is the decision going back to selling your losers or not. You know, we have to, we're constantly in this war as investors between commitment bias and overreacting to adverse news and, I don't know what the optimal decision is here. I think in general, you're just, this is a, this is a tough short. I think it's tough because of brand recognition, because of, because it's retail and because the trend is not in her favor at the moment. I did not realize that the board had gone from Annie Hall to Lady Bird, you might say. So where are we now? If we're burned, let's let's put on our burn hats one last time. 
They're obviously not made by Ralph Lauren. They're made by, who knows, maybe a millennial designer. Uh, but let's put those hats on and try and sort of evaluate this decision. If a position goes against you by 15, 20%, a lot of investors sort of, that's the range where they start to reevaluate, you know, and maybe say to themselves that the market may know something that they don't. What do you do here, Daniel, if you're Berna and you're short Ralph Lauren and you believe in your channel checks and you believe in your general generational thesis, the market is not on board with your story, even amid a, a quarter that's not overly positive and over and evaluation in the stock that still seems really steep. So what do you do? I think publishing on Seeking Alpha is a self-serving way for me to say this, but I think that's good to try to pull out. Is there something I'm missing? And I think, you're, yeah, you have to have faith, right? That's something that Professor DeMotoren talked about when he was on our pod was about this idea of every day the market is giving you conflicting information and you have to see whether you believe the story or not. So I would have to, if I have my burner hat on, I know the quality of my work. And so I'm confident that my work is on target. I would evaluate the investor day really closely. She clearly evaluated the report really closely. And confirmation bias or not, I don't know. It seemed to her that a lot of the beat was due to margin improvement. There was some FX uh, tailwind in there that's going to reverse. The dollar has gotten stronger over recent months. So, again, whether she's reading between the lines or not is not always there's some chance that there's confirmation bias and that she's looking for stuff to find, but I think she's done the right thing by evaluating the report closely and then sharing her findings. I'm sure also share findings with potential talk to management, talk to other investors, see what am I missing? What am I, what else could be out there that could help inform what I'm, what I'm wrong on. I would look at that investor day presentation and see, okay, yeah, they added some board members. Does this make a difference or not? They, talked a lot about Instagram and Snapchat. They have those logos in the investor presentation. What would I want to see that shows me that they're actually getting it? For example, can I update this brand finding? They had their own findings in there that said that their brand has more resonance. I guess I, that would be something I would be testing and that is probably changing. And then I would probably, likewise, just sort of, you should be able to benchmark this out pretty clearly. And that's maybe what I like about the thesis. It seems to me like you should be able to benchmark pretty clearly. The market thinks that they're going to pull it off and they've given their plan for here's where I'm going to be. I don't think they're going to pull it off. And here's, so here's how I'm going to make, like there should be easy metrics to say they're still selling too much in the off price or their revenue is still dropping too much or margins aren't improving enough. And then you can kind of gauge that delta. And if you see, in the next report that the company does what you expect, but the stock doesn't, then you know where to look. You, then the market is looking for something else. And if the company doesn't do what you expect, then you know, like, I think that's actually something that's attractive about this approach. So yeah, I guess that's where I would be. That's where I would be focusing on. I don't, I, I didn't mean to suggest that you should throw up your hands after one bad quarter. I, I totally, I, I agree that, as a long-term investor, you should be looking further down the line. But I would be 
paying attention and trying to see what what else is going on here, what else are investors looking for, what else is management trying to do, and how likely is that going to be, and how can I measure that? So, what what would you what would you take as a stance at this point? Well, I know what I would do. I don't know if this is what I should do, but I would continue to hold my position because I just know that that's, I'm too stubborn probably. I don't sell losers and I, I, I don't get out of trades that are going against me, which causes me to be a bad investor overall. I, but I would also, I think it would be reasonable to be patient here. She gave herself a year and I think that especially with respect to the channel checking that she's done, I think there's reason to believe that one quarter may not be enough to show all of that dynamic playing out. But I also, this does feel like, you know, we had that one comment that we really liked. I forgot what the article was about, but it was, if I turn this upside down and I flip the position, you can almost get to a long idea pretty easily. Like management's struggling, the brand is in trouble, but there are these upside risk factors in place that if they do execute the turnaround, it may work out. So I would take a similar approach. I'd try and re-underwrite the position and see whether my initial thoughts still made sense today. But I probably would wind up sticking it out because if I'm Berna, I believe in the generational trends and I believe in what I'm seeing based on my visits to retail locations around the country. One final thing that I'm, I don't want to pick at her idea in particular here, but I think is interesting looking at the data on Ralph Lauren in particular, it's, it's at a 70 PE, but its market cap is greater than its enterprise value. So it has a net cash position, I think. I also noticed that the valuation metrics are a lot. So price earnings is, looks extraordinarily expensive. Price to book is 3.2, which seems maybe a little bit high for a retail brand, but it's a brand, so maybe not. Uh, but then if you look on the sort of cash flow metrics, at least according to Seeking Alpha's data feeds, 9.5 price to cash flow, 8.5 EV EBITDA. I wonder, we probably won't figure out why that discrepancy is taking place, but it's meaningful in my eyes. And I, I'd wonder if maybe not, I don't want to say that Berna has made this error in her own valuation process. So I haven't looked carefully and I trust her work, but it looks like the market could be seeing this company in a different light. And I either need to wait for the company to come around to seeing the valuation the way that I think it should, or I need to do more work to understand what the market is seeing. So I don't know if you have any follow-on thoughts on the valuation in particular, but that does stick out to me that the market may be looking at this in a different way. I think the PE, the issue is probably tax-related. I was trying to pull up the 10K. I think they provisioned for a huge chunk of their operating income to be taxed. The number quoted in her article is 22 times EPS, or yeah, 22 times EPS. So there may be some gap, non-gap things going on there. 22 is still a high 
multiple. Still different but, from, still different from the cash flow measure. I yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's still something there. I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, I don't know. The cash flow. I I got like thirteen or fourteen for cash flow. So it is either way. There's it's it's not a crazy valuation, and that's I guess why the timing thing is interesting because there's a lot of perception going on here and it's not unless the focus of the thesis is on that brand issue and the millennial thing it doesn't seem like this is a broken axle where the stock is going to descend into chaos it's got a relatively healthy balance sheet and so that's where it is i i mentioned this before the call i think if i mention it on the call then i'll repeat myself in her presentation, she calls out Nike as an example of a consumer goods stock that falls 25%. She's talking about how the consumer goods fashion space is so interesting because things change quickly, and I, I like that point. And I was also thinking about a recent Citron research piece that I glanced at where he talks about Netflix, and he talks about how he called a pullback in Netflix correctly. And that's a hard game to play because in the long run, Netflix has been a huge winner, and I know that's not accepted by everybody as a real earned valuation, but sure, you can get in and out at the right times, but what does that really... Those sorts of shorts to me are sort of harder to get my head around sometimes. This, I get it on the long side, actually. I, there are stocks I've played as trades where if they get to seven, I think they're a buy, and then eventually they'll cycle up to a higher number, and I'll get out, and then maybe I get back in. And so maybe it's the same on the short side, uh, but I guess that's what's, so when you bring up evaluation numbers, that's what's interesting to me and why that timing, time frame question is, is so important is because ultimately, as much as we like to say that the market is, or as the Ben Graham quote goes, that the market is a weighing machine in the long term, it's still, your returns are based on how it votes. And you hope that the votes turn into the true weight over time, but you have to, those two concepts end up, they end up meaning the same thing. They vote so often that it becomes weight, and you hope that they're voting on the right things, that, that they're oh, actually voting God. on the weight. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I should have stopped you about two minutes ago. Good Lord. The votes start to have weight. Uh, okay. All right. Here's my. I'm gonna. Okay. I think we should wrap soon because if we start yeah. to extend the voting waiting metaphor, we know we're in trouble. Please. Here's what I think. I think this is a high degree of difficulty. Short. I think she put in the effort and the research to come to a compelling thesis, and the markets moved against her a little bit in the intervening period. It's one where we would, you know, I think we're more comfortable being bearish on stocks where there's signs of severe management misconduct. The market for a product is wildly different. Demand is way weaker than what the investment community is perceiving. There's something, you know, there's a broken axle is something you would look for. We don't see evidence in this argument of a broken axle. It's more of this is, you know, the transmission doesn't work. The carburetor's busted. The car can still move, but it's eventually going to slow down below and deliver below market returns. I think it will be impressive if, if her thesis plays out as a result of that, but it's kind of 
she's this is a, an, an interesting well-researched and compelling short idea on a very difficult target and i think that's kind of the risk when we talk about asymmetric risk reward i think the the upside and the downside to me look relatively evenly matched here and that would be my concern especially as the trades going against me yeah i think that's spot on i think it is a tough sector and fashion trends can change quickly and also potentially titans like this endure for a long time and that adds an, another degree of difficulty here um but i think you're one, you know, one year it's it's voting machines are in and then the next <laughs> weighing machines are in the kids you don't know which is they're gonna are they gonna are they gonna use the votes then suddenly people are weighing the votes and then they're counting the machines they're counting the pounds all it's right, all right. Fashion, man. <laughs> Tough. You got away with the extended car metaphor, so I don't know why I'm the one that's getting rigged over the cold here. You, when we listen back, you'll find out why. <laughs> okay, I think we're done now. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's a good one to wrap. Okay, okay. So thanks. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and to follow us on Seeking Alpha as well as all the podcast apps. SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and we're now on Google Play. If you have any feedback, please feel free to get in touch with us at daniel at seekingalpha.com or mtaylor at seekingalpha.com or on Twitter at at danielseekinga or at mbrooks-taylor. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks so much, and we hope you keep tuning in to Behind the Idea.